0: Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that you're having a really great week. We've been having a real good week around here. A lot of stuff going on in the life of the church as usual. I'll tell you, we had a really great time Sunday night with our new worship service that we started, really just as a five-week beta test to see if a Sunday evening coffeehouse style of service would be something that could work, that could maybe not only fit into people's lives a little bit better, but perhaps even attract folks who otherwise have not engaged in other kinds of worship services. And so this service was so cool. It was real laid back. We had coffee house style music, a more interactive kind of sermon. And I we had about 50 people show up. And I got to tell you, their response was just awesome. Uh, they loved it. And we're really excited to see where this is going to take us. So I know a lot of you were praying for us and for this opportunity um, for Tower Hill Night. So thank you for that. Thank you for all your support in getting this thing going and trying something new. Uh, The Lord says, see, I am doing a new thing. And uh, we definitely, that's our new thing going on right now here at Tower Hill. Well, like I said, I hope that you're having a good week. But uh, what is that really? You know, having a having a good week. I guess you know, no major ca- catastrophe happens. You know, <laughs> we feel like we're having a good week, or or things are just going okay. Here's what I really hope for you. Or here's my prayer for you, and for me too, is that the days won't just roll by one into the next until so many go by that we could barely perceive that months or even years of life have happened, but rather that you would truly live. Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life to the full. Are you experiencing life to the full? If you're not, if you feel like something's missing, I want to encourage you to engage, engage with God, engage with the church, engage with a small group in the church community. And I think you'll find what it is that you've been looking for. And who knows, maybe that's something you're looking for is to be found as you listen to this sermon today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, I pray that it blesses you as we kick off this new sermon series on the book of Acts called Until the Whole World Hears. Which really captures the missional spirit the mission spirit of the first followers of Jesus Christ, that they were launched out of hiding from the upper room out into all the world to share the good news of the gospel. And they claimed they were under direct orders from the risen Lord, who spent 40 days in their midst teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, of course, we know that it's their work that started the early church, really, that Got out to the whole world, their whole world, the whole Mediterranean world. And started church after church and ignited this movement that has changed the world. I also find that as we look at the stories of the apostles, one of the things that always strikes me is that these are stories of ordinary people who are flawed. Who make mistakes. And God uses them to do miraculous things. And I feel like there is so much that we can learn about our following of Jesus through their example. Because I don't know about you, but most of the time, I do not feel very miraculous. I do not feel like God is doing miraculous things. The things that I do seem pretty ordinary. I mean, some things are really great, but I don't know if I'd say miracle things. But I think what you'll discover is that there are miracles happening in your life all the time where God shows up. And he does it because he wants to change you so that you can shout it to the whole world. So, as we get into the book of Acts, let's talk first a little bit about the book itself. There's a lot of scholarly consensus around who wrote it, when it was written, all of that. Which is not always the case with all the books of the Bible. Sometimes they don't know what year it was or who exactly wrote it. This actually is pretty clear that the author of the book of Acts is Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. We get this, a lot of this, from the internal evidence of both, uh, both books themselves or both letters themselves. So uh, let me just show you what I'm talking about. If we go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. No, he's saying the, handed down to us. He wasn't with Jesus. He was with those who were with Jesus. He was with people who were eyewitnesses of the word. And he decides he needs to write an orderly account, which is kind of funny. Some of you are like, yeah, that would be me. I'd be there. Like, I've seen this writings you made of Jesus. I, you know, can we get it a little crisper? And Luke is, what we know about Luke is he, is, he was a companion of Paul, a ministry companion of Paul. But also, uh, there, some believe that he was a physician. Either way, he's a wonderful historian and a great storyteller. And he does put together this passionate, orderly account of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Right, let's keep going. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus. How many of you know who Theophilus is? Right, me neither. But he was most excellent. We have no idea. Theophilus was somebody who Paul felt he had to write this gospel to, this letter to, so that he would understand. He even says in the next verse, so that you may know the certainty of the things You have been taught. Now, the book of Acts was considered, if the gospel of Luke was volume one, the book of Acts was considered volume two by Luke. So go now to Acts chapter one, and we see it again. In my former book, Theophilus, right, he's continuing the conversation, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So this was all meant to be. Volume 1 it was about what is the gospel. That's the gospel of Luke. Volume 2 was what do you do with the gospel. 2 is the going out into the whole world with the gospel. And so it was a two-parter as he is writing to the most I feel like Bill and Ted. Some of you, that's an old reference. You know, most excellent, Theophilus. Okay, sorry, that was that was unscripted. Um, clearly, so it is also believed that this book was written around the year 80. So if you think about it, that's uh, 47ish years after the resurrection, which makes sense. He had time to go on all these missionary journeys with Paul to document it, to write it, to put it down. So it's believed it's around the year 80 that it was written. And for what purpose? To show the response of faith. The response of faith. It's not just enough to know the good news. There is a response that is a calling out, a launching into the ministry of God. So when we see here in chapter 1 of Acts, we see it actually begins where it ends. It begins with the last moments that the apostles have with Jesus before he ascends into heaven. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Don't don't glance over that. What would be worth 40 days of the risen Lord waiting to ascend to heaven? What would be worth him communicating to his disciples? What's the one thing he wanted them to know? That might be important. It was the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, just like he taught them while he was alive the first time, When he was alive, as he was teaching them about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God was something that was, God had initiated this plan of salvation for the whole world. And one day, this kingdom of God would be realized. But it was going to take a partnership with us, partnering with God, to go out until the whole world hears. So he taught the kingdom of God for those 40 days, because he really wanted them to get that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. That was like the ultimate mic drop. (laughs) To the end of the earth. Ascended right in front of him. Like wow, what do I even do with that? How do I even process what just happened? Like, this was amazing that he was with us and he was teaching us about the kingdom of God, but then he just like, did you guys just see that? What just happened? What is all about? And I feel like he had me all fired up. I I can only imagine what the apostles are feeling. You're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea. Yeah! It's the ends of the earth. Yeah! Jesus! However, I wonder how long it took to get that they were getting very mixed messages from Jesus. You're going to go to the other way. Yay! Now I want you to stay in Jerusalem for a few days. What? That's, I feel like that's not the message that I'm hearing from Jesus. I wonder if they felt this too. I felt like I was getting geared up for like Braveheart, man. I was like, freedom! yeah, To the ends of the earth, let's go Charge! Or like, you know, like a locker room speech. Like maybe you're watching Miracle or Hoosiers or something. Like they are getting them all fired up for the second half. And they're like, all right. And you have this emotional big halftime speech. I want you to come back in three days and we'll finish this game. All right? Make sure you're still fired up. Here's the truth. Here's my experience with God. And I think you've probably experienced this too. Sometimes... Our going looks like waiting. Sometimes I feel like God's getting me all fired up to do something. And for those of you who know me, and <laughs> know that that happens to me a lot. I get fired up pretty easily. And I get fired up to do something, and then I'm getting ready to go, and then it feels, it feels like then I'm hearing at the same time like God's pumping the brakes on it. He's like, yeah, but not yet. what? And then you know what happens when you start waiting. When you start waiting, you start getting anxious. Then you start second guessing. Did I really hear that thing from God? Because it seems like in my life, nothing has changed. Nothing is different. I felt like all fired up, and now I'm just kind of in this waiting zone, this holding pattern. What is going on? What is God up to? Do I even know if I hear from God or not? And I wonder, what is the purpose? Why did God do this with the disciples? It's, it feels like it should have been like, all right, disciples, go into all the earth. Bam, Holy Spirit. and they go. If God's in control, why did he make them wait? If God is in control, why does he use waiting in our lives? I want to offer a couple of ideas on this subject. Sometimes, you know, I'm getting ready to charge the hill for God. I think sometimes if he didn't pump the brakes on that, I'd make the mistake of thinking that the hill was mine to conquer. When it's God's hill. I think it's a reminder that we don't control the miracle God does. What do I mean by the miracle? The miracle, the God showing up in our lives. What is more miraculous than that? I think nothing. God showing up in our lives. That sometimes if we just go out, and and we're not in this season of heart preparation, of heart waiting, then I think sometimes we think the miracle is ours to control. That if we just go out and do it, the miracle's gonna happen. God's gonna show up, it's gonna be successful, It's going to be productive. It's going to bear fruit. It's going to do all these things. When sometimes we forget this is God's miracle, and we are participants. I think the other thing is that waiting, the act of waiting, produces trust, and it requires trust. Think about waiting. I mean, it's like when I I was a little kid, I was waiting for my mom to come pick me up. Now, listen, some of you kids, you got to understand, we did not have Uber. We did not have cell phones. The best we could do is, like, and if you had no money, you had to go to a pay phone if there was one around. And then you work out this intricate, like, FBI system, CIA system with your parents. So you, uh, it's a collect call from, hey, can you come pick me up? You know, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> collect call from, hey, can you come pick me up? So you'd, you'd figure it out. But when you're... Back in that, back in the day, you, I'd be waiting for mom, and I had no control over when she was going to show up. I was completely powerless. All I had to do was to trust that she was going to come. Stay put. She will be here eventually. Why? She loves you. She told you she'd be there. You can trust her. What more does God, God want than that? For us to know that he loves us, we can trust him. He's going to show up. I feel like sometimes this waiting is really, it's for us. It's for our hearts to be prepared for what God wants to do. We're just not ready yet because we're not focused in the right way. Because here's the thing. Overdeveloped control can make you start too early. And underdeveloped trust can make you quit too soon. When your timing is forced instead of waiting on God, you run the risk of starting too early or quitting too soon. We talk about God's timing all the time. What, you know, what does that mean? It just means when God's ready for you to move, you're going to move. But sometimes your going looks like waiting. Things aren't quite ready for the miracle to happen. So let's look at in in the apostles' case. God gives them time to start living into it. I mean, this was the first time they've had to do this without Jesus right in their midst. They had to get used to it. It's like any of you parents, when you come home with your brand new baby for the first time. I remember when we came home with Katie, uh, my eldest, we come home... And I will never forget this feeling that I had. So you get home. First of all, I'm freaked out about the car seat. I'm driving 10 miles an hour. Just, I'm terrified. You know, we get home and we go and we sit down with the baby. You know, we dump off all the stuff we got from the hospital and all the diapers and bags and all that stuff. And we get home and I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, what do we do? What now? There's no nurse. The nurse isn't here to tell us what to do. What are we going to do? You get this like little tinge of panic. Like, I don't know how to raise a human. And I have one now. What's happening? How many baby books do we have? We need more. I don't know. What do we do? Maybe we should take it to church. I don't know. Let's get it baptized. I don't know. What are we supposed to do? And then what happens? Well, you start living into it. Well, I think she probably needs to eat. Something smelling a little ripe. <laughs> Gotta change that. She probably needs to sleep. Yeah, right. <laughs> what happens is you start living into a rhythm that you didn't know you had in you, and the more you live into it, the better you get. Then you have different questions. Jesus was helping the apostles live into what it meant to follow him when he wasn't physically present there. They were getting used to the baby. They were getting used to what is life going to be like because they weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for the miracle yet. They weren't prepared. They needed a few days to start figuring this out. So let's watch what they did. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days... Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Go ahead to verse 20. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted Let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Basically, long story short, they had to fill the spot that Judas left, they felt, and so they started a process on how to select that person to fill the spot. So Jesus says, you're going to go into all the world. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to reach the world to the whole world hears. Jerusalem, yeah, Judea, yeah, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the first thing they did, the first act after seeing Jesus, ah, was they went back and they had a committee meeting. That does not sound terribly exciting. Wait a second. Why'd the meeting come before the fire? Well, they were living into it, they just did what they knew how to do as they waited for the miracle. What did they know how to do? Well, they did what Jesus said. First of all, they went back to Jerusalem. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. So they left the Mount of Olives went to Jerusalem. That's it. That's not like overly spiritual. Like we all could travel from, you know, Red Bank to Middletown. I don't think that takes a whole lot of miraculous anything. And then what did they do? What had they done when Jesus was there? Well, they prayed. And they talked about scripture. So what did they do? They joined together in prayer. And then as they prayed, Peter suggests a possible course of action based on how he was reading the Psalms. That we need to replace Judas's spot. And so they did that in community. That's it. There was nothing super miraculous about it. They were going about their life. They were getting used to the baby. They were finding their rhythm as they were waiting upon the Lord. Now watch what happens here. We'll get to this next week, but just just a teaser. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. In other words, through their very unmiraculous things, they were right where God wanted them for the miracle to happen. Too soon, they would run the risk of going on without the Holy Spirit. So why the wait? Why does God often ask us to faithfully wait? I think it's all about God's preparing your heart for the miracle that's coming. So don't miss it. If you feel like you're in a season of waiting in your life, you may be right where God wants you. Maybe you were reading a devotional or you're listening to a a sermon or, or you were doing something and you felt really inspired. You felt really charged up. And then it just felt like, well, then nothing happened with all of that. Well, maybe God's waiting for you to get used to the rhythm before he brings the miracle. Because he doesn't want you to miss it. He wants you to be in one place together. He wants you to be in that place that you're supposed to be. And waiting develops trust. And trust makes us listen to God. And what else does God want for us to listen and to be where he wants us to? To be. So what should you do if you feel like you're in a season of waiting? What should you do? Many of you feel that way. Maybe you feel that way with a job situation. Maybe you're waiting for something to come through. Or wait, or you're wondering whether or not you should do something different or something new. Or maybe it's with a relationship situation. Or maybe it's with a financial situation. Whatever your thing is, that you're waiting on the miracle. You're waiting for God to show up. What are you supposed to do in the meantime? The first thing is, you wait. God tells you to wait. You wait. But you don't do nothing. What did the apostles do? They just knew, they just did what they knew how to do. God just wants you to do what you know how to do. To get used to the sacred rhythm that he wants for your life. And that is what? Pray. Spend time with God. Because sometimes our going looks like waiting. And he wants us to wait before he can launch us into the next phase. So you make your decisions in community with other Christians. And just as we wrap up, just how do you do that? How do you get in with other Christians and start living that out? Find an opportunity to serve. We have a bunch of opportunities for you to show up as like a one-off. You don't have to commit life to it. You know, like it's not a life sentence. You go, you serve at lunch break, the Pan Am Motel. You, you go and you help out. You volunteer in the life of the church. You help with Sunday school one week. You do something else another week. You usher, you greet, you work guest services. There's so many things that you could do just to start interacting with other followers of Jesus. And then you develop some friendships. And as you travel together, you start saying, okay, I feel like, friends, I feel like I'm waiting in this area of my life. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? I got this situation and just feel like I'm in this holding pattern. Will you pray for me? And then, you know, I was thinking about this scripture, you know, this morning as I was, and it kind of seemed to apply. Or somebody else in the group's like, oh, I was thinking about this scripture for you. And what happens is in the process, your heart is prepared for the miracle that is yet to come. Isaiah 40, 31 puts it this way. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be